as we continue in the Gospel of Mark, we're slowly accumulating a bigger and bigger picture of who Jesus is. And as we ask the question, who is Jesus? Uh, We ask this question in good company. It's a question that people throughout the world today continue to ask, and it's a question that has been asked down throughout the centuries. Who is this man? And here's the picture that has emerged so far in Mark's gospel, just by way of recap. He's the son of God, God's beloved son, God uh, in the flesh, God making an appearance in a person. He is the long-awaited king of Israel. He is the fulfillment of God's promises. And God has torn open the heavens to make himself known in a fresh and new way, paving a new exodus, which means a new defining moment of salvation for all people. And the, the way that he is going, though, the path that he is walking is toward a cross, is toward suffering, is toward death. But he does this out of love, and he does this with authority over all areas of life. This is the picture we have so far in Mark's gospel. And today is the last sermon in chapter one of Mark's gospel. Uh, We've squeezed four sermons out of one chapter. It's pretty impressive. And uh, we got to get into uh, 10 verses, verses 35 through 45. And I just want to remind us yet again that we have information within within the gospel from the prologue that people within the gospel as it unfolds do not have. We have the inside scoop, whereas people in the gospel, they're still trying to figure out who is this Jesus. And so as we get into our passage today, here's the big picture. Jesus came to bring life in desolate places. Jesus came to bring life in desolate places. But he does so by being desolated. So to flush this out, we'll we'll go through three things. Why he came, the places he visited, and trading places with him. So open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 1, beginning in verses 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went all throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Mark wants us to pay attention to location. Early in the morning, before the sun has risen, enveloped by dark, uh, Jesus departs to a desolate place, a barren, uninhabited, lonely place outside of town, away from everybody. Now, as we saw last week, Jesus' reputation and fame has begun to grow in his hometown. The whole city began to gather at the door where he was staying. But now, Jesus, he withdraws. He removes himself from the demands and the unrelenting needs surrounding him, and he paces his work and his relationships by unplugging. He disconnects. He turns off his ancient equivalent of the iPhone and any connection to social media, and he withdraws from the world of busyness, a world of endless distraction, to focus. He withdraws to a desolate place, Mark says, to pray. And it's out there in the dark, in this uninhabited, desolate space, that Jesus is finally alone. But he's hardly alone. He's praying. He's with his Father, without distractions, without facing the needs of others. And we see that prayer undergirds his entire ministry. And this is so important for us to pay attention to on several levels. You know, if the Son of God needed to withdraw without distraction, to dwell with his Father, how much more do we need to practice this? 
If prayer undergirded his entire ministry, how much more do we need to find ourselves on our knees? You see, the day in and day out rhythms of our lives, they can keep us distracted, they can drain us, they can keep us so busy that we don't have any time to pray. We find ourselves without any sense of connection to God or any sense of connection to Jesus. And when this happens, we can lose focus. We can start pursuing our own ideals or desires or agendas with no real sense about what God may have for us or what God might actually want, and we might become aimless. And maybe we begin to question, does God really care? Is he with us at all? Should I just go at this alone? Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that it's easy to live on earth disconnected from the Father. So he withdraws. Why? To dwell with his Father, to talk to his Father, to focus on the mission of his Father, and in doing this, to be rooted in his identity as the beloved Son of the Father. And so it's in the desolate place that we find Jesus anchoring himself in the presence of his Father, but also focusing on why he came at all. And then Mark writes in verse 37, Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said, everyone's looking for you. They don't get it. You know, they say, what are you doing out here, Jesus? Like, what? You're silly. Like, why are you in a desolate place? We got a movement happening here, man. Come on, back to work. You know, the disciples, they've self-appointed themselves as Jesus' PR, his public relations, and they think Jesus needs to get back out on the campaign trail. But what does Jesus say? Verse 38, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Jesus didn't come to be a local celebrity. He didn't come to be stationary, locked into a single place. Jesus came to preach and to preach about the kingdom of God, and he says, that is why I came, to preach. Which means what Jesus came to do looks different than what the disciples expected. You know, we can't know for certain their expectations. But if they shared the common expectations of the ancient Jewish world, uh, they, they had expectations surrounding what the Messiah would, would be and do and look like. And God would send his Messiah to reestablish Israel as a geopolitical entity. He would set up an everlasting throne on earth, and Israel as a nation would be restored to its former glory of ruling all the nations. And, you know, as disciples, just one, the benefits might be some power and authority delegated to them, you know, some honor and fame. And so they expect Jesus to start paving the way for this political movement. If it's going to start in the city, let's capture the moment and get the movement going here. But this isn't why Jesus came. In the same way, what Jesus came to do looks different than what we expect of him. You know, we expect a teacher, someone who espouses good moral lessons, a decently good man, or we expect a leader of a social justice movement who goes around and cares for the marginalized and heals the poor. Or we expect a religious leader who can tell us new ideas about God. This isn't why Jesus came. Jesus is clear. He came to preach. He came to proclaim. He came to pronounce news. He, he came to preach that the kingdom of God is at hand because the king is at hand. Now, this can take expression in teaching and in healing, in words and in action. In, but in Jesus' own words, he came to preach. That's his mission. That's why he came. And when he preaches about the kingdom of God, visible signs of the kingdom of God accompany him. People get healed. Demons get expelled. People repent and align themselves with him. But these things happen because the kingdom is appearing in his presence. It happens because of who Jesus is. Uh, it, it's, it's only possible because of who Jesus is. He can only do what he does because of who he is. 
And so when Jesus preaches, he's declaring what is really real and reality bends and is reordered around his authority. But this bothers us a little bit, don't you think? Because it means that our expectations surrounding Jesus have to be reordered too. He's a teacher, but not just a teacher. He's the leader of a social justice movement, but not just the leader of a social justice movement. He's a religious leader teaching things about God, but he's not just a religious leader. And similarly for the disciples, he's the Messiah, but not just the Messiah as they've understood the Messiah. And so if we're going to understand who Jesus is, we have to allow our expectations about him to be reordered. Whether you've had faith for a long time or you're still figuring it out or you're, you're somewhere in that spectrum, we all carry expectations about Jesus that we have to lay down and allow to be reordered. We need to listen to the preaching of Jesus and observe the preaching of Jesus and come under the preaching of Jesus. We need to let him define who he is. And and we need to encounter his kingdom and not our preferred versions of his kingdom. And that's why he came, to make himself known and to make the kingdom of God known to us. Now, our second point, the places he visited. After heading out to a desolate place to focus on why he came, He heads back to other towns. He focuses on the mission. He does what the Father sent him to do. He goes back into the world. And Mark writes in verse 39, he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So Jesus, he's heading in and out of different cities throughout Galilee. He's preaching. He spends time in common places, but he's not done with desolate places either. He doesn't only go to desolate places to spend time with his father. He goes to desolate places to meet people who are stuck in them. Look at verses 40 through 44. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. and He was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. How do we know that Jesus isn't done with desolate places? How do we know that? He encounters a leper. Jesus, at this moment, must be traveling between cities. We don't know where he is exactly, but he's tracked down by a leper. And so we have to assume he's on the outskirts of a town because you're not going to find a leper within a city. Why? Well, in the ancient world, leprosy was heavily stigmatized. Unlike today, it didn't have a simple treatment. It was incurable. It was dangerous. It was life-threatening and highly contagious. Uh, If you're you're not familiar with it, leprosy, it causes numbness and skin lesions, uh, weak muscles, even paralysis of the hands and feet. Uh, It can cause blindness. It's a debilitating and tragic disease. And in the ancient world, there is only one treatment for leprosy. Wait and see. It'll either resolve or it'll get worse. And since some forms were incredibly contagious, people with leprosy were quarantined and cut off from society. Uh, You became untouchable. You were stigmatized as an outsider. Uh, You were pushed to the outskirts of society. And if you didn't get better, you never returned. And so most people with leprosy were excluded and shunned from society. They're pushed out into the desolate places. And so the disease was a death sentence. 
Leprosy would have robbed this man of his name, his occupation, his family, his community, his worshiping community. Nobody could touch this man and nobody would touch this man. If someone were to you know, come in contact with someone who has leprosy, uh, they risk becoming ceremonially unclean, but they also risk getting leprosy. You know, they weren't going to touch him because if they did, they'd have to go through a whole slew of purification rites just to worship God again. And so the leper is an outcast in the truest sense. He is cast out from society. His only home is in the desolate place. Cut off from society because he himself has been desolated by his disease. Mark writes in verse 40, the leper came to Jesus. He sought Jesus out. Now that's bold. That's a gutsy move. This man knows he's supposed to stay away from people. He's lived in separation for God knows how long. And then presumably he hears about the ministry of Jesus. He hears that this Jesus of Nazareth has been making people whole. And so he comes humbly and I guess desperately. And I love this. Verse 41, Mark says, he begged Jesus while kneeling. He begged Jesus while kneeling. This is the posture that you take before a king. And he says, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, this is already scandalous, but the shocking part is this. Jesus touches him. Jesus can heal this man simply by his word. He doesn't have to touch him, and yet Jesus touches him. We've seen in Mark's gospel, Jesus says, follow me, and people follow him. He says, be silent, come out of him to a demon, and the demon is expelled. Uh, you know, he has all authority, and reality conforms to his word, and yet Jesus, we're told, was moved with pity, and he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Jesus touches the unclean, incurable, disease-ridden outcast. He touches a desolated man in a desolate place, and life springs forth. Life springs forth. Now, to the average first century uh, Jew, Jesus would be out of his mind. This is nuts. You don't go around touching people, let alone touching lepers, because if you touch the leper, you become unclean, and yet Jesus reverses things. The uncleanliness of the leper doesn't make Jesus unclean. The cleanliness of Jesus cleans the leper. And Jesus, he reaches across all social boundaries and religious paradigms and constructs that people have made, and he demolishes them, and he welcomes this person into the kingdom of God. And think about it. This would have been the first time in a long time that this man had been touched. Jesus affirms his dignity as a person. He restores his personhood, his body, his ability to be in community. And what I love about this whole scene is we get a look right into Jesus' heart. He was moved with pity. He was moved with pity. It can be also be translated, he was moved with compassion. And yet some manuscripts say he was, he was moved with anger. And all of these words can kind of come together and we see that Jesus had this driving intensely emotional, expressive passion. He had a compassionate anger in this moment, a compassionate anger. Now, that might sound odd to you, but you've probably felt this before. Have you ever felt intense compassion towards people who are marginalized? When you think about children who are suffering and hungry around the world, or you, you think about people who have been uh, desolated by a natural disaster. You have compassion towards them, and yet anger at the systems that allow such things to happen in the world or, or the things that have happened to them to put them in this situation. You have a compassionate anger. 
Jesus' compassion is directed towards the leper, but his anger is directed against the suffering caused by the disease and the isolating and dehumanizing effects it's had on his life. In other words, he's angry at the brokenness of creation and how every thread of our existence has been fractured and how we've seen pain and separation and disorder in every realm of reality. But then this moment between Jesus and the now healed leper takes a curious turn. Jesus forcefully, or sternly, which I quite like, he sternly warns the man not to tell anyone but to go straight to the priest. Some of you got that bad joke. It's okay. The leper needed to go through the proper channels to get restored to community. And Jesus wants this all done under wraps. And seriously, why would he want this kept under wraps? If we start thinking like the disciples, like, no, Jesus, this is good PR. Like, let's get a a billboard, you know, put a picture of him, a little testimonial quote, like healing, like this dude is good now, like this is good PR, Jesus, why? Well, Jesus wants this under wraps for the very same reason as to why he refused to stay in one place. We're so prone to missing the point. Jesus, we want Jesus to meet our expectations, which then actually makes him less than what he actually is. And we want signs to be done for our needs alone, which makes them less than what they actually are. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus warns people about seeking signs, signs just like the one that's occurred. And he knows first um, that if a sign is demanded solely for belief, that belief will never occur no matter what sign takes place. But Jesus also knows that we can get so caught up in seeking the sign that we miss what it signifies. For example, if you're learning to drive, if you can remember learning to drive, uh, and you're learning to identify signs while driving, and say you're driving and you see a stop sign, and one of your parents is beside you, and just for the sake of example, let's say it's your dad, who's a little uptight about having you drive, doesn't really want to be there, would rather be anywhere else than you driving a car. I know that might be tough for some of you to imagine, but let's just imagine your dad's in the car with you. He's really nervous. And in your zeal, you say, oh, look, there's a stop sign. Neat. And you just drive straight past it. You know, your dad would scream, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Pull over the car. Give me the keys. And you say, well, what's wrong? I saw the sign. I saw the sign. You open the... It's in my head, but... You saw the sign, but you missed what it meant. You saw the sign, but you missed what it signified. And having missed it, you actually put yourself and your dad in grave danger. The sign isn't the point. What it means is the point. For Jesus, healing is a a sign, not a magic trick. It's not meant to be gawked at, nor did Jesus come solely to heal. The healing signifies something. But so often in some Christian circles, we stop at the healing. The healing is the end, and we get frustrated then if we've been seeking God for healing, but it doesn't happen. But the underlying problem is that we are settling for signs and missing what they signify. Well, what does it signify? what life looks like in the kingdom of God. There's no disease in the kingdom of God. It flees. It vanishes. There's no suffering in the kingdom of God. It's eradicated. For Jesus, the healing itself isn't the point. All that matters is now that people can be brought out of desolation into life. That is the point. In the kingdom of God, people are brought out of exclusion and brought into inclusion. In the kingdom of God, people are brought out of desolation and are given abundant life. The healing then signifies what the kingdom of God is like. 
And it's the result of Jesus' preaching and mission, and it's a picture of what the kingdom will look like when it comes entirely. It's a glimpse of what the earth will look like when Jesus returns and finally declares, behold, I make all things new. And so we see that Jesus doesn't just preach in common places or comfortable places. He heads out to desolate places, not just to connect with his father, but to live out the mission of his father to seek after people who desperately need the good news of the gospel and the kingdom, people who desperately need to be restored to abundant life. And so Jesus, he sternly warns this man to focus on the meaning of the sign, being restored to community, being restored to life, and not the sign itself, but what happens. Look at verse 45. But the man went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Man doesn't do what Jesus, is, Jesus asked. And frankly, I, I mean, part of us, I think we understand, like, he's excited. How can you blame the guy? I mean, he's been cast out from society, and now he's in, and, and he, he just goes, and he tells everyone, but he disobeys Jesus. He was called to secrecy, but instead, he tells everyone about it. And what's the result? Jesus trades places with the leper, which is our last point this morning, trading places with Jesus. Jesus, he's relieved the leper of this burden, but in broadcasting the news, the leper imposes a burden on Jesus. He could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. Before, Jesus could move freely in and out of cities, and the leper was isolated in desolate places. But now the leper is able to move freely within the city, and Jesus is outside in desolate places. Jesus restores this leper to life and community at the cost of his own exclusion. Mark wants us to see that this passage begins and ends in desolate places. Jesus starts in prayer in a desolate place, anchoring himself in why he came. That was why he was there. And then he ends in a desolate place because he's living out why he came. Because Jesus came to be desolated for us. He came to lose his life to give us life. He came to preach the kingdom of God, and he came to bring life to the desolate. But as he's faithful to God and the Father's desires and the Father's mission, he'll be driven further into desolation. He will ultimately become desolated on the cross. Now, maybe this just doesn't make sense to you. Why would Jesus trade places? with a leper at such great cost to himself? Why does he have to become desolated at all? Why does he have to suffer at all? Around the world, we can see that many are desolate so that some can have indulgent life. Many around the world and within our society live well under what they need to flourish within life so that others can have abundance. Whether it's sweatshops, the exploitation of farmers, forced labor, you name it. These oppressive social realities exist so that Western cultures can have abundance or so that the elite can have their indulgence in plenty. Now, we may try to alleviate some of this ugliness. We may seek other social visions that bring more equality and equity to all people. We may long for this oppression to cease. But historically speaking, just historically speaking, many have always been disadvantaged so that a few can live advantaged lives. Common sense shows us that many suffer so that a few can have abundance. But in the kingdom of God, only one will be desolated so that many can have abundant of life. 
Only one will dwell in a barren, uninhabited place, devoid of life. Only one will be brought low so that many can be lifted up. Only one will be disadvantaged so that many can be advantaged. It's not many for the few. It's one for the many. And Jesus, he looks at the suffering caused by dehumanizing structures with anger and profound compassion for those who are suffering. And he says, I'll go in their place. He chooses it, not out of obligation, but out of love, out of compassion. He says, put their suffering on me that they might go free. I'll suffer immensely so they they can have abundance. I will be oppressed so that they can go free. So would you rather many suffer for the few or one suffer for the many? Jesus was desolated so that many could have the abundant life found in the kingdom. And he was desolated because he has compassion towards us and anger towards all the things that cause desolation within us and within the world. And this extends beyond just geographical space. Jesus doesn't just walk out into desolate places. Out there, he meets us in desolate spaces in here. He has compassion towards these spaces in our lives and the desolation we might experience in our body. Maybe it's a gnawing depression that robs you of purpose and joy. Maybe it's a sense of hopelessness that things in your life will actually turn around for the better. Maybe it's a relationship that just can't seem to mend. Maybe it's a chronic illness that causes you suffering every day. Any of these things can be desolate places for us. The reality that seems to suck you dry, and it's, it's these things that make us feel like we're on the outside looking in. And yet Jesus has compassion towards us. He will reach out and touch us. He can and will and does meet us in these places. He went out into desolate places to connect with his Father, and he went out into desolate places to save us, which means in desolate places we can find him there paving a way toward God. But what's our response? Well, like the leper, we fall down on our knees and on our feet, and we implore him. We say, if you will, make me clean. Reality bends around his very word. He can change your circumstances. He can, he can heal our relationship. He can bring you purpose, joy, and hope. He can even heal your body here and now. Reality conforms around his word. But maybe you've been praying. Maybe you've been waiting. And things haven't changed. You haven't seen it get any better. It gets harder to ask for Jesus to speak because from what you can tell, he hasn't spoken. But rather than grow bitter or disappointed about a lack of healing here and now or question why it happens for some and not others, let the signs of healing in the scriptures point you to what they signify. When the kingdom does come, when Jesus does return, you too will share in this abundant life. You too will share in the total healing of your body and soul. And one day your prayers and requests will be answered. And let your comfort be in the reality that Jesus was desolated for us and for you. So take comfort in the fact that he knows your pain. He knows your desolation. He sees you with compassion. He cares and he walks with you. And he has a just anger towards all that is wrong within this world. And an intense compassion towards you as the one who became desolated so that all could have abundant life. 
And until that day when he makes all things new, he meets you where you are and he starts planting seeds of life and hope. Because Jesus did not become desolated so that some could find life, but so that many could share in his life. And what he has done for us is not in vain, and he will not leave us in desolation. I love what Anne Graham Lotz says about this. She says, If God can bring blessing from a broken body of Jesus and glory from something that's obscene as the cross, he can bring blessing from my problems and my pain and my unanswered prayers. And while we can and should pray for healing and hope to see glimpses of the kingdom of God here and now, all of us are called to respond to the kingdom of God in the same way. Repent, believe, follow me. Faith is never in the signs, but what they signify. Faith is in the king who is bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Faith is in Jesus who became desolate so that many can have the abundant life found in the kingdom. And so we repent, we realign our minds to believe in this truth, and we follow Jesus. That's how we respond to the kingdom. Is that your expectation of Jesus? 